You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. The title of my message this morning, Sunday, March 6, 2016, is Set Your Shame on fire. Set your shame on fire. I believe that shame is one of the biggest things that holds people captive and in bondage to fear, worry, anxiety, and doubt. And many times you're in shame and you're in bondage and you don't even realize it. The devil's greatest tactic and the devil's greatest ploy is to keep you deceived to believe that everything's okay or to isolate yourself so that people won't see who you really are. What I want you to know and understand is that the devil is a liar, and he's always out to lie to you, and he's always out to tell you that you're not going to make it, or you're a failure, or to define you based on your past, and to keep you in bondage to your shame. He's constantly reminding you of things you've done, and the mistakes, and the past patterns of hurt, and pain, and broken relationships, and the things that you experienced when you were a child, and he always wants to keep you there. But God in his word says that we become new creations in him and that through him we don't have to walk in fear and shame and control anymore. But sometimes that's easier said than done, especially when we've had a life of hurt and a life of brokenness and a life of pain. But I'm here to tell you that I've experienced a lot of those things in my own life and the Lord has helped me and so many others that are here to overcome that. Jesus came to set the captives free. But the devil's constantly wanting to keep you bound up, afraid, and worried, and to tell you that there's something wrong with you. He's constantly working on overtime to keep you held back and afraid and to keep us isolated from one another. If I believe that there's something wrong with me, then I walk in this fear that you might see it, or I'm inhibited, or I'm afraid that people won't like me, or that People are going to think less of me, or people are going to always think that I'm the man that I once was, or the, the mistakes that I made in the past, they'll always define me based on that. And some of you have people in your own life that are defining you based on who you once were. But when you come to Christ, you're in this process of complete transformation. All things become new. They did, they are, and they will be. It's a process of being renewed. If you really understand what it means in the Greek to become new, it means that as soon as I came to him, he wiped my slate clean and he forgave me. And every day he's making me new and he's going to make me new tomorrow. So I'm in this constant process of renewal. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, don't be, tra don't be conformed by the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so every day we've got to be reminded of the promises of God and who he is and what he says about you. And that's why we're here. I'm here to help you overcome inhibition. I'm here to see you get completely free. And in freedom, we come to the place where I'm not worried about what you think or what you say or whether you like me or not. Because when I got free, I got free first of myself and then I got free from you. Now, to be free from one another doesn't mean that I don't have a responsibility to love you and be in relationship with you. In fact, the Bible says that we're to owe no debt to any man except the debt to love. So I'm free from what Betty may think of me or say about me or what her perception of me is, but I have a responsibility biblically to love her. I have a debt to her to love her the way Christ loves me. 
And God wants you to see how much he loves you and he cares about you so he can break you out of isolation and shame and worry and fear and inhibition and then in turn have awesome relationships with one another. Because you have to understand that when you're in shame, when you're in fear, when you're in condemnation, when you're insecure, what it does is it keeps you back from true relationship first with the Lord and then with each other. And Jesus came to break that because the devil came to give it to you. And one of the first consequences that came when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden was fear, shame, and control. And we'll look at that today. And every time you guys come to church, and when, especially if you're new and new people come, you're coming with a preconceived idea of what church may or may not be like. Anytime you listen to a preacher or a pastor, or especially if you've been hurt in the past by churches and ministers, we have these preconceived ideas that we either have to protect ourselves or that the preacher or the pastor is going to beat you over the head with the Bible or try to fix you or try to change you when we have to understand that Jesus does the changing. There's no formula. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you can get your eyes on Jesus and I can get you hearing his voice, he'll do the work to transform you and to make you more like him. So we get things backwards in the church. And we get things backwards in, in our minds that I'm so messed up and I'm so screwed up and I'm, I have so many issues that if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. Or if you really knew what I did, you wouldn't really like me. If you really knew my past, you wouldn't really like me. So I'll be the first person to come out of hiding. And I tell my story because it reflects a dead man. It reflects that I don't care anymore what people think or say from prison and broken marriage and to all my dysfunction and all the hurts of the past because that's not who I am anymore. And that's why when you tell your story, you get free because now you bring it to the light. But the devil always wants to keep you in darkness that if they really knew who you were, or if you ever said this to yourself, I'm such a failure. I'm never going to get it right. And I deal with that all the time where people come to me and they say, Pastor, I did this and I did that. But because I understand what God did in me and I understand what perfect love looks like, I can look at them with telescopic love and vision and say, but that's not who you are. The Father loves you and I'm going to love you like that. See, Jesus said it's easy to love people that treat you well. It's easy to treat people well that are always nice to you. He said to love, pray, and bless those that persecute you and hurt you and shame you. We're to love them and pray for them and bless them. And then he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven's perfect. And the word perfect is the word teleos in the Greek. And it means, tel it's where we get the word telescope or telescopic. And it means that when you come to me and say, man, pastor, I'm really struggling with porn. Or I'm really struggling with this. Or I'm really struggling with that. Whatever it is. I can say, yeah, but that's not how the Lord sees you. And I can see him with perfect vision, and now I can see you the way God intended you to be, not for who you are. And instead of me calling you out as a, a, a sinner and putting shame on you and more condemnation on you, instead what I do is I love you well, and when you experience God's love and you realize God loves you, then I can look at you and say, now let's work on these issues and help you to overcome them in a loving, caring way. But religion has it backwards. Religion has it backwards. Where we say, you're so screwed up. Oh, you know what? This is why you're doing this, this, and this. And I can tell you the source of all dysfunction and the source of all sin and the source of all alcoholism and drug addiction and abuse and all that comes from an absence of perfect love. All of it. 
broken upbringings or not really understanding that even God loved you more than your parents loved you. And where your parents failed, he doesn't fail. And where there was abuse and shame and hurt and pain, he'll never abuse you or shame you or hurt you or bring that pain into your life. And when somebody tells you he's an angry God and you try to reconcile the God of the Old Testament in the way that he was then and the way that he loves us now, you're going to miss it. And even God in the Old Testament in Isaiah 54, he said, I won't even be angry with you anymore. I'll show it to you. So you see people that constantly fail, constantly fail and makes you so angry. Listen, how much patience does God have with the darkest of the darkness? Now, it doesn't mean we don't bring justice and we don't have justice bearers and authority that locks people up and puts them in jail and consequences. And God has a way of bringing justice and vengeance to those that are hurting little children and the innocents. And the Bible says it and he'll do it. And we've got to fight it. And he puts us in such a time as this. But you still have to understand that God is still tolerating child abuse. It's happening right now. Suicide, death, hurt. Pain. And so he's raising us up and he hasn't come back because once he comes back, it's the end. And so he tarries because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Anybody means anybody. But we don't understand that in our mind. But if you could see it from a different perspective that God is so gracious with us. He's so long-suffering. He's forbearing. He's caring. That he puts up with them. And he's put up with us over and over and over again to call us out of the darkness into light. We can have much more patience and love and reflect it. We become it and we reflect it. And I've often thought, Lord, I don't understand. He says, I'll show you how this works. And so for years, even as a Christian, I would continue in these crazy sin patterns. And thank God he set me free from them. But I would continue to do things that I know I shouldn't do. They were cyclical patterns from my childhood, from my family line, and all these things that I shouldn't do. And I'd say, I'm such a failure. I'm such... And the next day, his mercy would be new, brand new in the morning. And I'd say, God, I don't understand. How can you still love me? How can you still care about me when I've been such a screw-up and such an idiot? And God says, my patience and my love will never fail you. My mercy endures forever, and I'm never giving up on you. But some of you think God has given up on you, and he hasn't. You should be dead by now, and God doesn't give you what you deserve. You never deserve it. And when you come to the realization that I'm not that good, but because of he, loves, he loves me, he makes me great, and you get past this deserving thing, you'll stop living in fear of punishment and worry and doubt and anger and isolation. Those are the devil's tactics, not God's tactics. Everyone's made mistakes, some of us more than others. The failures of our past are often what the enemy uses to define who you are today. Come on. Don't think you don't always do that. It's like this. I don't know who Betty was in the past, but Betty's made a lot of mistakes. And if Betty had done something hurtful to me two weeks ago or a year ago, and she comes in, there's Betty. Oh, she hurt me. She's going to hurt me again. So I have to preserve myself or keep her at a distance. Or I define her based on who she was. But the Bible says when you're born again, you suddenly step into this process of transformation and becoming new. So instead of me thinking less of her, I think the best of her. And I start believing and propelling because I'm secure in myself. And even if she does try to hurt me, she can't because I've been set free from her. Now, I, can still, I still have to protect you in the context of a church. I have to watch out for our children. I have to be a good shepherd. I have to put good, healthy boundaries up. 
We had a guy, I've had, there's very few people I've had to remove from Rock City Church, but we had a guy that would always come and be disruptive and disrespectful towards me and disrespectful towards you. He wasn't submitted to my leadership. He'd be demonstrative. He'd be overly loud. It'd be distracting. And he didn't care what I said because he was submitted to God, not me. And that's not biblical. That's not biblical. And I wasn't asking him to do anything illegal, unethical, immoral, or unbiblical. I was asking him to be respectful and to love and to honor me and to honor you because we're a family and we're all moving together and we're not, we're not lone ranger ministers coming to do our own thing. And so finally I had to ask him to leave. And it broke my heart. But every so often he reaches out to me and he says, hey, can I come back for this special speaker or for this event? And I say, you bet you can. Because I'm going to keep giving him chances and opportunities. And if he comes back and, he's, and his heart's right and he says, you know what? You're, I, I'm sorry. I haven't, didn't mean to dishonor you and dishonor the people. I want to love. I want to honor. And he comes in and he's not being demonstrative and not being disruptive. Then he can fully be here. No problem. And you got to understand, I tolerate a lot. This is like years of tolerating this, by the way. This wasn't like two weeks. But see, I still understand he's a Christian and he's in process and he wants to be transformed. And I'm still going to love him and I loved him the best that I knew too. And I'm not going to say this is the same guy that he always says, I'm going to watch him and you know a tree by its fruit and you're going to believe the best instead of saying, I don't trust anybody. Because if you have that motto in your life, then you're walking in fear, shame and control and self-preservation because you've been hurt so many times. <clears throat> now, I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. <clears throat> but I am going to tell you, we don't teach our children stranger danger. Because that's not in the Bible. And it doesn't mean that I just let my kids walk up to everybody and we still teach them boundaries. We still teach them that you never go with somebody and we don't want you to go talk to strangers if your parents aren't there. But when I'm there, I want my kids to walk up and high five, hey, what's happening? And I'm watching them. And you teach them boundaries. But when you teach them stranger danger, then what you're teaching is there's always a danger from you if I don't know you. When that's not true, and that's not biblical, and that's not how Jesus taught us to love. And so instead, our children are being, are, we're trying to protect our children. I understand what you're trying to do. But from a biblical standpoint, we're to teach our children to shine bright and to love people with healthy boundaries. You're the one that sets boundaries. Okay? And the boundaries are, look, not every stranger is safe. Not every person you don't know, and there are people out there that do bad things to children. So no, you don't take candy from a stranger. You don't ride with a stranger. In fact, I don't even walking, want you walking away and talking to somebody that I don't know or when I'm not around. But not every person's bad. Can you imagine if I said, my kids don't know you all, you're all strangers. And then we go out in public and they shy away from you. Oh, oh, you're going to get me. Now, I don't, some of you may not like that. And I realize I don't always say everything that all of you like. I'm just telling you how we raise our kids because I love it when I go to the supermarket and I'm ministering to somebody and my kids are watching and then they, and then it just, my kids are right there smiling, high-fiving instead of hiding behind me and being afraid. We take our kids out of fear, shame, and control. We set them free because it's a natural inhibition that came from the fall of man. And we don't want that in our lives. We don't want that in our children's lives. And God doesn't want that in your life. He wants to break us out of that fear and that shame. He wants to 
He wants to show you who he's called you to be as a son today and what that looks like for you. And he wants to raise us up to see that for other people so we can have healthy relationship. Lies, deception, fear, and pushing just the right buttons in your life to make you angry, frustrated, and want to give up is what the devil does. And I'm going to tell you, if you have a hot button, that's an error you've not been refined and you're not free. If somebody can push a button in you and you go, you're pushing my buttons, don't push my button. You're going to really make me angry if you keep saying that, then you aren't free yourself. And that's an area that you need to be refined in because the devil knows just how to try to push your buttons, but it can't work if you've got no more button. I still don't trust you. You cheated on me 10 years ago. This is 10 years ago. You cheated on me. I'm so afraid you're going to do that again. You know, you know that if you did it then, you could do it again. You know when you lied to me before, you could lie to me again. You know, and you're like, that's not who I am. I would never do it. And you get so angry and you get so mad. And if you're defensive and protective and you're in this constant state of preserving yourself, there's sheer fear, shame, and control that needs to be broken out of your life. And I'll show it to you in the Bible. Because God wants us to have what's called koinonia, which is partnership and intimate relationship in the body of Christ and with each other, first with him and with each other. This is the biblical term of fellowship, is that we should have perfect fellowship, and if we walk in the light as he is in the light, there's no darkness at all. There's no darkness at all. If you've said to yourself, I feel like such a failure, the enemy's working on overtime to keep you in prison, to fear, worry, and doubt, and a life of shame and self-preservation. If you're saying that, it's often because you're still doing the patterns of the way you were raised as a child or things your parents did or your family did. These are, it's a constant history repeating itself. Have you ever gone around the mountain and around the mountain, you're at the same crossroads, you've gone at the same place. Over, here we are again, month after month, week after week, the same place. That's a cycle and a pattern that God wants to break in your life. We also become so dissatisfied with our lives that we run to other things to bring satisfaction alcohol, drugs, pornography, because we haven't experienced the pleasure and the love of the Lord, and we don't realize that he's so awesome and he's so fulfilled in him. Why would I ever want to look at those other things to check out because I'm not happy? I don't want to do those things because I have perfect love ruling and reigning inside my heart, and that's what God wants to rule and reign inside of you. You can do that. You say, well, nobody can be perfect, but you can be walking perfect love. You can do it. Because he is, and if he's in you, you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you. Not a seven-pound little baby Jesus. You have a full-grown Jesus inside of you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be without sin, because the Bible says none of us are, are perfect in that context, but we're moving towards per perfection. And we can love the way that Jesus loves. Another reason why we continue to walk in hurts and pains and failures is because of a lack of self-denial and taking up our cross and following Jesus. And I'll show you that all three of those work together and you can't do it without his help. A lack of understanding and ungodly beliefs, a lack of identity and what the Bible says. When you don't have good understanding on who you are and what the Bible says, you'll constantly give into ungodly beliefs and lies about him and about yourself and about others. That's why we're here at Rock City and that's why we go to church and it's why we read our Bible because we got to renew our mind and understand more and more who we are. We go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. We're constantly in this process of maturing and growth 
to being more like him. And that takes time. And that's why we've got to be patient. It's like a tree that's coming up out of the ground. It takes a long time for it to be watered and nurtured and for that fruit to bear. And so we have to be patient with each other. All of us have failed in some way in our past, and all of us will make mistakes again. But on one side of the coin, failure can actually make us stronger. Failure can help us to not make the same mistakes again. Failure can help us to grow and become wiser and become more mature in a lot of areas. But on the other side of the coin, if we don't treat failure with the right way, we'll find ourselves in bondage and fear and worry. And the right way to treat it is by understanding who you are, who Christ is, and how much he loves you, and what he did when you became born again. And that's what I'm here to remind you of is the great news of what Jesus has done. Failures don't define who we are. And they especially don't define how God sees us. So why would we let that define us in the relationship with each other? And we do that because of past mistakes or being hurt and wounded by other churches. So we come to church expecting less or we come to church that I'm going to beat you over the head with the Bible. Instead of just coming to love and be ourselves, growing in Christ and being rich in the fellowship that we have with each other. We take off our Sunday best and we come expecting and believing I'm going to experience God in a profound way and I'm going to help others experience God too. That's what we're here for and that's what we're here to do. Though others may define us based on who we once were and what we used to do, that's not how we should see ourselves. That's not how we should let others see us, especially when we're born again. You got to believe the best in people. And having this idea of you can't trust anyone is not true. We understand that people make mistakes, but Jesus always loved. He always trusts because the foundation of love is trust. And if you take trust out of love, then what do you have? Because if I don't trust you, I can't really be in good relationship with you. And we won't have unity in the church. And God wants to bring unity between us, doesn't he? 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The word for light is the word foes, and it's the word for rays of light or fire. It's firelight. And the word foes is the root word for, the, for God's voice in the Greek where we get the word phone or telephone. And it means that we're constantly hearing God's voice and we're constantly walking in the light and there's no darkness in, it, uh, in us at all because God is light and in him is light and no darkness at all. But verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. So we're liars if we continue to say I have fellowship with God, but I keep living the same way and don't allow God to transform me and let that darkness be removed out of my life. And how does darkness get removed out of your life? Through the light and the fire of God. That's why today the title of my message, putting, uh, setting your shame on fire, putting fire to your shame, means that when you come into the light, you expose all darkness. See, God calls darkness, calls light out of darkness. That's what he does. So he's saying, come out of hiding and come out of shame and come into my fire and into my light, which will expose it all and set you free. And now that I'm in the light, I'm completely set free from myself. I don't worry about what God says anymore. And I look at you with perfect love and you can't bring any darkness into my life. That's how God wants your marriage to be, your relationships with your coworkers and your friends, and especially your relationship with him. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin. 
There's the word fellowship again. Two times we see the word fellowship, which is the word koinonia. And the word koinonia in the Greek literally means to have partnership, to participate together, and that my life is, being, is bringing a benefit to you. You're a benefactor of my love. That's why I want my life and this church to be infectious. I want you to come around me and come here and go, I don't know what happened to me. I just went to church, but, I'm, but I've just been so awakened. It doesn't even mean you had to answer an altar call. You did or you didn't. You just got in the atmosphere of love, and you got into his presence. You're like, I don't know what's happened to me. I'm not the same as I once was, because religion and shame and darkness is falling off of you. Yeah. Woo. Koinonia means to be able to communicate effectively. One of the greatest struggles in marriage that I hear is miscommunication or lack thereof. And we write book after book after book. But see, if you'll learn to walk in the light and your identity of who you are in Christ, then you'll have effective koinonia with each other. Because I'm a partner and my life is to benefit you, it's not about me. My life is to, I'm to lay my life down. If it means signing my name on a $2.8 million piece of property, if it means risking it all, it doesn't matter because he gave it all and I'm going to risk a little old signature. Who cares? I'm trusting Jesus and I'm going after him and I know he put me where he put me and I'm going to love you well no matter what you do. It doesn't mean I don't set healthy boundaries, but I give you every opportunity to grow and become like Christ. It doesn't mean I'm going to put religion on you. I'm going to put love on you. And I'm going to be on fire, and I'm going to stand up here every week, and I'm not going to worry whether you're going to like me or not, or like my hair or not, or like my message or not, or like the music or not. Instead, I'm going to be myself, and I'm going to have a great time, and I'm going to be on full-time vacation because I've been set free. I'm free from myself, and I'm free from you. Let's get fired up, everybody. Woo! This is how we're to live. We're to be unified. Despite all of our doctrinal differences. Despite all your, your past sins and mistakes and issues. And even besides the struggles that are going on. Can you imagine Jesus walks up to the fishermen on the seashore. And he says, now listen. You better stop your drinking. You better stop your cussing. And drop those stinking nets, you foul mouthed fishermen. And follow me. That's why I often say God's called us to be fishers of men and not to clean them too. But if you're self-conscious and you're insecure and you've got shame, you're going to always be thinking of what I'm thinking about you and what other people think about you. And do I really like you? Because if I knew who you really were, Christine, I wouldn't like you. I wouldn't even want you to come here. And you better not pray and you better stay away. Lie of the devil. I love you just the way you are despite what you have or you haven't done because I believe in you and I know what I see. And I'll always speak life to you and promise because you're a warrior, you're a Deborah in the kingdom. I've told you and I'll tell it to you again. It'll rock your world and you'll cry and you'll weep and you'll walk out of these doors on fire and transform for your family and your kids. And you'll have an experience right now with God because I'm speaking promise and life to you. Because that's love. Because love changes. Love transforms. Love drives out fear and torment. Love makes you want to do the right thing. Love makes you want to let go of the sin and the struggles and the anger. Because in love, there is no anger. There is no fighting. There can be a righteous indignation. You can be angry and sin not. But anger in the way where you were once like you used to be. And you're mad and you're upset because somebody hurt you or let you down. That's why I said last week, in, the definition of insecurity is when everything around you is killing what's inside of you. And some of you are dying and you walk in this church dying 
because you're insecure and you're worried about what that God's mad at you. Oh my gosh, if I go to church, lightning's going to strike or the top's going to blow off. The news flashes that lightning already struck, the top already blew off, and we're all okay. God sets us free from each other, and he shows us how to love the way that he loves us. But you've got to get a revelation of God's love first for yourself. And you've got to understand that God wants koinonia between each other. And some of you are trying to have koinonia with the world. Some of you are trying to make your best friend lost sinners that don't know Jesus Christ and that are wandering around away from God. They may be the best friends. They may love you to no end. But you can't have true koinonia in a way that builds you up and promotes you and points you to Christ. And your friendship is with the world. And God says that's hatred towards God. Friendship with the world is enmity towards God. And it doesn't mean I don't have friends in the world that don't know Jesus, but the people that I associate myself and surround myself are on fire Christians that build me up and lift me up. When I gave my life to Jesus, I had to let go of my friends. You know why? Now I'll still call them, love on them, but I can't go hang out with them. They're all smoking doobies and drinking and partying, and I can go get in that atmosphere for a little while, but if I stay there for a long period of time by myself, it becomes infectious towards me instead of me being infectious towards them. And that's why Jesus sent the disciples out two by two instead of by themselves. There's no Lone Ranger ministers that are going to go out and you're all by yourself because that's unbiblical. God's called us to one another with each other and hence he raises up a church. So you can't say I don't have need of a church because 37 times he says love one another, be with one another, encourage one another, build up one another, edify one another. All these promises that says I need RC no matter how different of her lifestyle it doesn't matter. Jesus expanded, went across the expanse of the socioeconomic categories. He, he loved the homeless as much as he loved the rich man. He loved everybody equally. And you're not living like Jesus if you just surround yourself with your same socioeconomic status. Because there's no socioeconomic status in the kingdom. Bam! And it doesn't mean on my, my hangout nights that I'm calling up all my lost sinner friends. But it does mean that I'm not afraid to go to dinner, spend some lunch, or have some coffee and disciple and try to show them the love of Christ. And if they receive it, I'll invest more time into them. If they don't want anything to do with it, I love you. Hey, it's good to see you. High five. Have an awesome day. Because my friends were like this. I'm glad you found forgiveness, David. I got forgiveness too. Toke up this doobie. Here's this bong hit. Let's do this line. Hey, we're all going to the club. And that's all that I knew when I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't have a church like this. And so I'd go hang out with my friends because they were my best friends. But now when I'd smoke a doobie or hit a bong or take a drink or go to the club, something was different because my eyes were opened. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were blind to the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean they were blinded to the reality of God's existence, though. But they were blinded to the kingdom. They weren't even made aware anymore of the kingdom. That's why when you get born again, the Bible says that you can see the kingdom. Unless you're born again, you, can, you can't see the kingdom. God wants you to see, and he wants you to hear and understand what's happening spiritually around you. And he wants you to come out of shame and fear and isolation and control. And he wants you to love well, and he wants us to be patient with each other. Thank God I didn't have a bunch of religious Christians beating me over the head with the Bible, telling me how jacked up I was in my third month of being saved. Can you imagine? 
God was patient with you. We must be patient with you. Walking in the light removes all darkness. Notice if we walk in the light as he is in the light. This is a requirement that I walk in the light. It's a requirement that I'm coming out of hiding and out of shame if I want to truly come out of darkness. And if you're hurting and you're sick, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're fighting in your marriage, you're worried, you're struggling, you're judging everything, you can't get satisfaction, God's not satisfying to you, church isn't satisfying, worship isn't satisfying, friendships, everything, and you always feel like you're chasing after something you can't attain, then you're not walking in the light. Light. There's no darkness. And when you're looking directly at the light, you don't see a shadow. And if there is a shadow, it's the shadow produced by the light of God's presence. Walking in the light helps you to see clearly and not be ashamed of who you are and who you're becoming. We understand that there's power in the blood. In two weeks, we'll have Palm Sunday. And in three weeks, we'll have Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to talk about the life of Christ from Palm Sunday through Jesus being the Passover lamb and why that is so important for you to understand because the blood speaks a better word. And when I understand that the blood has washed me and cleansed me and has made me new and because of the blood, now I'm in perfect relationship with him and with each other. I never walk in fear, worry, shout, doubt, shame, or control. And it doesn't mean that I don't have my moments, but it does mean when I have those moments, God's reminding me how he would act and how he would respond. I shared that with you last week. That anybody that doesn't love their brother and they say that they love God, they actually don't know him. And many times when I've been arguing or defensive or trying to get my own way, God says, you don't know me right now. So what do you mean, God? I've given my life to you. I'm a pastor I've been so on fire. I'm a son. I, what do you mean I don't know? He goes, no, you don't know me this way in this moment. So when you're angry and fighting and defensive and mad and confused and in darkness, you don't really know who God is. And if you'll just be honest with yourself in that moment, it doesn't mean you're not saved or we're questioning your salvation. I'll be the first to be, to be honest and transparent. It means in that moment, if I'm fighting with my wife or if I'm arguing or trying to defend myself, I've learned to ask a very critical question Lord, why am I feeling this way? And he goes, ah, thank you for asking. You're feeling this way because, and pow, he corrects me as a good father. Another great question to ask is, Lord, how do you feel right now? Let's say that together. Say, Lord, how do you feel right now? You ask the Lord these questions, my friend Pat, that came a couple weeks ago, got up on the bridge to drive back to the island, and he said, Lord, how do you feel right now? And this godly sorrow and weight came on him. And he started seeing like a movie reel all these people in his life that he hadn't been loving well. And he started weeping, weeping and crying. And for four straight hours, he wept and he cried. And, he, and godly love and sorrow came into his heart. And he was transformed in one moment. He's never the same from that one encounter, four hours of experiencing God's love and how God feels about him and about other people. Four straight hours. That's why having an experience changes you. You bet God wants you to have an experience. And if you're living life without experiences with him, you're a dry, cracked riverbed. You read the word all day long. You can go to church all, all the time. But God wants you to hear his voice and experience his love. And it's in those experiences that you become transformed. He took his own disciples, his two beloved disciples, up onto the mountain. And what did he do? Experience.com. I'm talking transfiguration. <laughs> 
They didn't have websites like that then, but the point is, is that God was giving them a, a download and an experience that transformed them, and instead, Peter's like, well, let me, let me set up camp here, and God says, no, every day, I want to show you myself like that. Every day, he wants you to experience his love and his kindness in a profound way. Prior to the fall of man, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was no shame in exactly who they were and how God created them. So in the beginning, Genesis 2.25, right after God created Adam and then, and crea- then created woman out of Adam's rib, and Adam said, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this is how chapter 2 concludes. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. How could they be naked and not ashamed? Well, number one, they only knew good, and they were completely innocent. And I believe God wants to restore your innocence, and that's why he says, unless you be converted and become like a child. That's why we protect the innocence of a child, and we teach them the beauty and the wonder of God without fear. We show them the love that God shows us, and we empower them to bloom and blossom into everything that they're called to be. So they didn't have any shame. There was no, hey, honey, do I look good in this outfit? Because there was no outfit. <laughs> do you get it? No, I don't know. I mean, I guess I want a picture that Adam and Eve were like perfect Barbies in the garden, but maybe there was a roll or two. Maybe they, maybe they were a little bit plump from eating all that fruit in the garden and the trees. Who knows? But, the, but it doesn't matter because they didn't care. They were loved and accepted by God, and they were fully walking in the light, regardless if they were underweight, overweight, perfect hair, no hair, good outfit, bad outfit. And that's how we should love. And I'm telling you right now, spouses, especially men, we should love our wives right where they're at. And if we love them really, really well, then God will have his perfect way in their life. And there's no condition. Now, if you weigh a certain weight, if you look a certain way, I'll stay with you. When you marry, you married for the good times, the hard times, the pretty times, the ugly times. It doesn't matter because, trust me, she's seeing you in your ugliest time. And the, and the thing is, is when we're restored back to innocence without shame, now I can look at all of you without thinking, oh, your hair's messed up. Oh, I like your shirt. I don't like your shirt. Oh, you know what? You don't really look at it. Oh, man, girl, you need to hit the gym. <laughs> and what we do is we put condemnation on each other instead of looking with eyes of love. Most people are already self-conscious when they shouldn't be, but they're already so self-conscious, and we want to come along from a religious standpoint and put more of it on them. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what did they see and what happened? What was the first thing they saw and what happened? Genesis 3, 7 through 10. As soon as they had sinned and ate from the tree, the first thing that happened is their eyes were open, both of them. Their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The King James Version says they made little old aprons, little old cute aprons. They probably would have embroidered their name on them if they could. Because you compare a little old apron to cover you and your shame to the presence of God that wants to transform you. And even in the midst of their hiding themselves. So as soon as shame comes, I protect myself from you and you protect myself from me. I'm going to put an apron on so you don't really see me. And many of you have aprons on right now because you've been hurt or wounded or have a warped perception of God. And I'm telling you, he loves you and cares about you and you can be yourself here 
and you should be able to be yourself in the kingdom of God and at Rock City Church and everywhere you go, you should learn how to let God do, do what he does best in you and who he is in being born again and transformed and we should love people that same way. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. What did they hide themselves from? This is why we're a presence-driven church. Not everybody wants the presence of God. And anybody that doesn't want the presence of God, I'm telling you, is walking in fear, shame, and control. That's why God wants presence-driven churches. That's why God wants you to be presence-driven, not intellectually driven. And that's why God wants to call you into the light. What I want more than anything when you walk in here is you go, man, I feel so much love and care and acceptance that I just didn't feel any fear and shame. And I just came to God as I was. And I wasn't worried or afraid anymore. So they hid themselves from the presence, <coughs> presence of God <coughs> when they heard the sound of the Lord. And I'm telling you, God is calling your name. The sound of the Lord, the voice of God is calling all of us to be more like him and to come out from hiding and to step fully into the light. And then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, verse 9, where are you? Or another way to say it is, Adam, how did you get here? Because when you can self-realize that, look, I made a lot of mistakes that got me into this situation, but I'm coming out of hiding. Lord, you know what I did. I repent and I'm sorry. I made a lot of mistakes and I know my past is full of failures, but I'm not going to let that define me because I know you love me and gave your life for me. And I believe what that preacher said and I believe what the Bible says and I believe what I'm feeling right now, that this is my time to rise up and be the daughter and the son I'm called to be without fear of religion. See, some of you think that religion is going to put a straitjacket lifestyle on you or it's going to hold you back or you're not going to be able to have fun, or you're not going to have good friends anymore. That's all lies of the devil. Because when you let go of it, God replaces it with his love and his life and new friends, better friends, that you can have real koinonia with that propels you into his purpose and his promise. There's no straitjacket lifestyle. The boundaries are set to actually propel you. The world says you should be able to do whatever you want, but that religion will hold you back. Well, the news flash is, number one, this isn't religion, and number two, when you get God's healthy guidance and boundaries in your life, it sets you free. Yeah. So let's just close our eyes for a moment, and we're going to say, say this, and you're going to say it with passion. Where am I? Say it again. Where am I? How did I get here? All right, in verse 10, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we're calling all of us out of shame and fear and hiding. We're not going to be afraid of how we are and how we look, and you don't have to worry we're not starting a nudist colony. <laughs> what you see and what you hear is vital to your spiritual growth and understanding. They saw darkness and lies, and when they heard God, they heard fear, and in turn, they hid themselves from the presence of God. 
They were ashamed, and they truly believed that there was something wrong with them. And I want to tell you there's nothing wrong with you. Come into the light. Come back to original intent who God's called you to be. See, shame says that there's something wrong with you. Shame says that you're broken and you can't be fixed. Shame says if I really knew who you were, I, would, I wouldn't like you anymore, or I wouldn't trust you anymore, or I wouldn't love you anymore. But when you get loved by God and understand that he breaks that shame and he's walking in the garden saying, son, daughter, here I am. Where are you? Come out, come out wherever you are. There's no more hide and seek with God. He says, come into the light and my light and my fire will, will burn out all the darkness in your own life. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation. Some of you have been so humiliated Maybe it was by a pastor or a church or a friend or an ex-lover. And maybe you, you were the reason for it. But you know what? God's forgiving and he's caring and he's loving and he gave it all for everyone on the cross, for everybody. And you can be forgiven today, but some of you need to forgive yourself. You can accept, say, oh, I know God forgives me, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And the Bible says if you don't forgive others, including yourself, you're walking in darkness and you can't be forgiven. Because you're held, in you're held in bondage to unforgiveness, even over yourself. The newsflash is, hey, get over it. And forgive yourself and take God's forgiveness. We've all been through various different forms of dysfunction, hurts, and struggles, and challenges. And even if you haven't, you still had a need for Jesus because you were born into a carnal nature to go your own way and do your own thing. People use shame to hold you back and to bind you, bind you up. But when you get set free, it doesn't matter what other people think. And some of you are walking in regrets. Look, there's things that I've done that, I, that honestly I wish I never would have done, but I did them and God transformed me. So why am I going to live in a world of regrets? I made mistakes, but God made me a new creation. That's not who I am anymore. So when the devil tries to remind me of my past, I just say, hey, devil, you're a liar. I'm a son of God, and I worship. I don't even give him any attention because that person has died. And if you're acting like your old you, then you haven't put off the old man and truly allowed Christ to transform you. And you just got to repent. And the word repent means to change the way you think. So what I'm really trying to do on a Sunday morning is to shift your thinking into a new way of understanding. God would remove your shame and your separation, and he would love you like no one else would ever love you. And what he would do on the cross would completely remove anger, fear, shame, and control. I've been reading Isaiah 54 to you a lot lately, but I want to read these, first, these few verses to you. And one of them is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Isaiah 54, verse 4 through 5 says, Don't fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame. Notice three times he says, Don't be ashamed. You're not going to be put to shame. You're going to forget your shame of your youth. And you won't even remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. You say, well, what does that even mean, widowhood? Here's what that means. It means that all of us were separated from our bridegroom because of Adam's sin. And it means that we were all widowed, but now God is going to bring us back to our maker, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord of hosts means God of the angel armies. 
And it means that the God of the angel armies, of all the hosts of heaven, the armies of heaven, all of the angels, the very God of them all will be your maker. He'll be your husband. He's the redeemer. And he's the God of the entire earth. Isaiah 54, verse 9. We'll jump down to verse 9. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. You have it right here in writing. If you think God is an angry, vengeful God and that he's angry with you, this is Old Testament. He said, in Isaiah 53, Jesus is coming. This is what I'll go through. Now you're going to expand. Sons and daughters, a forsaken woman will now no longer be forsaken. Those that didn't bear children will bear children, and the nations will take desolate cities. It's going to happen so big that people are going to be born again, and millions and millions and millions of on-fire Christians will stand together to advance the kingdom. You think you're alone in your battle there are millions and millions of christians that are on fire overcoming everyday learning all over the world you're part of a worldwide army and the god of the angel armies is the leader he's jesus the general he's jesus the general Woo! now i love this this is so poetic verse 10 i would just got to read it this morning oh man This is way better than a Led Zeppelin lyric. (laughs) Long before Led Zeppelin tried to sing it, God wrote it. And he says, for the mountains will depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness, if you look it up in the King James, it's my love will not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord. Who has mercy on you? When you understand, at some point I'll teach you on covenant, and I'll talk a little bit about the covenant of his blood in a few weeks. But if you understand that God struck covenant before you could ever do it, he, he, he made the decision before you ever did. He loved you before you loved him. When you understand that there's a covenant of peace and that God loves you and that he has mercy, and he says, if the mountains should crumble to the sea and be removed, my kindness and my love will not depart from you. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation. The word condemnation means an issued verdict of guilt. Here's what that means. You are guilty, and I'm issuing the verdict that can never be undone. You're sentenced to death, no ifs, ands, or buts. But he says when you come to Christ, the verdict is not guilty because there's no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now what's the key? What am I doing? I'm walking. How am I walking? In the light. How am I walking? After the spirit. There's a responsibility. Oh man, I'm free. There's grace and mercy. Sin like the devil. Ha ha ha. No, the Bible says if you claim that fellowship with God but walk in darkness, you're deceived. You got to do something. Salvation is a free gift, but here's what you got to do. You got to walk in the spirit. So there's no, you can't go, oh man, I'm not guilty. Not true. Walk in the spirit, get born again, and then he removes the shame and the guilt from your youth. And then you come out of the darkness. I mean, can you imagine if I was a pastor and I'm still sneaking porn, smoking doobies, getting drunk all the time, cheating on my wife, 
going to ladies' night the way that I wants to. That's not who I am anymore. He's dead. And that's what God wants to do to you. So all your anger, some of you were so violent when you were, when you were young. You were abusive and you were angry because of your dad or your childhood. God wipes all that away and makes you into a new creation. But the key's walking in the spirit. 1 Peter 2, 6, therefore it also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. There's no more shame. You don't need to feel shame. You don't need to be put to disgrace, and you don't need to be dishonored. Nobody should dishonor you and disgrace you any longer. Stop doing it to yourself. When you came to Jesus, you're made new, period. You need to get born again, stop playing the religious game. You're not coming to church just because to feel better. It's the right thing to do. You're coming to grow and give fellowship to others and bring life and love and health and liberty to everyone around you. It's true koinonia. It means that I'm not dysfunctional in my communication with RC. I can look her right in the eyes. I can love really, really well, and I cannot be afraid of what she thinks about me. She's not afraid of what I think about her. Let's talk. Let's love. Let's be normal the way God intended. That's why God measures you in the context of relationship because he uses relationship to refine you to be more like him and call you out of darkness, first with him and then with each other. That's how it works in the Bible. And this is your time to come out of shame. This is your time to come out of hiding. This is your time to come out of fear and worry and anxiety and doubt and depression and all the lies of the enemy that he tries to put on top of you. You don't have to walk in that fear or that shame anymore. You don't have to hide from God's presence anymore. You can walk in here, and when the presence of God's here, you get so fired up and you feel so good and you're so encouraged and you're so strengthened to be everything that God has called you to be. You see, Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But here's what religion does. It's a three-step formula, okay? Three-step formula. Christina, if you really want to know Jesus, you better deny yourself. You know what your problem is? You're not denying yourself enough. So I put you into a formula in a religious pattern. You say, man, what do I got to do more? I'm not letting go of enough things in my life. And you try to do it in your own strength because the pastor told you. And when you got to understand that denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus are all three one and the same. So here's how it goes. I'm going to look to Jesus. I want to come after him. So I got my eyes on the light. And while I'm looking at him, I'm denying myself and taking up my cross. Because Jesus co-labors with you and helps you to do it. And so what, but what we teach is you better get cleaned up. You better get better. You better stop doing what you're doing so that you can follow Jesus. And I put condemnation on you. Come in here and beat you over the head with sin, you sinner. Instead of saying, follow Jesus and get rocked by his love, and if you get your eyes on him and you start following him, you know what? The instrument of death will kill you, and you'll become like him, and you'll deny yourself. Jesus co-labors with you. It's not step one, two, three. It's all one step. Deny yourself, follow Jesus, take up your cross. They all go hand in hand. Because I never would have got free if it wasn't for Because I asked myself recently, Lord, how do I deny myself more? Ask yourself that. You're going to become more religious, go to church more, read your Bible more, go through all the stuff more. No. You're going to look to Jesus. You're going to be born again. You're going to pursue him. You're going to follow him, and you're going to let him kill everything out of you. He said, any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. That's great news. That's great news. But see, we see it's like, man, I might be a bad branch. He's going to cut me off. Oh, my gosh, hell, fear. 
Instead of, hey, I got this thing in my life. If I just get with Jesus, he'll cut it out. Oh, it's just so simple. This is your day to get free. This is your day to come out of hiding. This is your day to walk in the fullness of what Christ has for you. And I know that today some of you are really hurting. I know God gave me this message for some of you. And I'm telling you, it's a new day for the church. It's a new day for you. And it's a day where we're going to learn to love the way Jesus called us to love. How many of you want to have healthy relationships? How many of you want to walk in God's perfect love where there's no torment or fear? How many of you want to walk in the light as he is in the light? Then you got to come to the light and come out of hiding. Take off your nice little aprons. I had to take mine off. And when, when I do something I know I shouldn't do, I look, I'm like, oh, I got an apron on my heart. I'm protecting myself. I'm getting defensive. Let's take off those aprons, everybody. No more fear or shame. It doesn't matter what you look like. Now, you still look nice. I still, I mean, I hope my hair looks good today. I worked really hard on it. <laughs> Let me fluff it up for you a little bit. Yeah. You know what I want to be like? I want to be like the little man on the pencil that you fix his hair up real nice and then you go like that. And it's like, yeah, I'm free to be me. You can be free to be you. Come on. So I love it when I go to the, I go to the Cole Park. You know, we've been taking the kids on nice days to Cole Park or we go to the park by our house right there. And I love it when I go and I see guys all tatted up, especially if they have a teardrop tat right under their eye. I go right up to them. I say, hey, man, I just want to tell you God really loves you. And I'd like to invite you to Rock City Church. No church is like me, bro. You don't know what you're saying. I said, oh, trust me. Yeah, I do. And you'd fit right in. Say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. Well, your tattoos kind of give it away, but <laughs> I still love you. And they're shocked. They're like, man, nobody, nobody would accept me in church if they knew what I did. You better accept people when they come here. And you better accept people in the kingdom. Because you know what? None of you deserved it, and neither did I. In fact, I've been so overwhelmed that I've said to myself, God, I just really don't deserve this. He goes, yeah, you really don't. <laughs> Say, okay, Lord. He says, just take it. Just receive it. I said, Lord, can you be that good? He goes, I'm better. I said, Lord, I, I didn't know you could be this good. He goes, I know. You know that the Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord that leads me to think and to change. What's going on, guys? This is your time. This is our time. He's a good, good father. Let's come out of hiding today. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet. 
senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!